You're listening to episode 14 of the Happy Space Podcast. Today, we're exploring how to better manage anxiety with mindset coach Paul Shepard. Welcome to the Happy Space Podcast where we talk about designing inclusive performance through the lens of a highly sensitive productivity catalyst. Uh, That's me, executive coach, speaker, and brand collaborator, Claire Kumar. Join conversations with authors, culture shapers, space designers, and creators of products, services, and customer experience as we highlight astonishing contributions tempting a more tender world. We know that diversity leads to richer results. So let's accept that productivity is personal and commit to designing with respect for humanity. I aim to leave you with ideas to better support your family, colleagues, customers, community, and not least of all, yourself. For everyone, including you, deserves a happy space. Welcome to another episode of the Happy Space Podcast. I'm so excited today to be talking with Paul Shepard. He's a mindset coach and host of the Mindset Change podcast. We recently connected where he interviewed me on that show, talking about sensitivity, of course. And I quickly realized Paul has so much to offer our listeners here at the Happy Space podcast. I just had to invite him to be a guest as well. Um, Paul has an amazing training in numerous modalities, such as hypnosis, NLP, which is neuro-linguistic programming, IEMT, integral eye movement therapy. A number of different areas have worked for him, but what was really interesting and intrigued me is he said that traditional therapy, CBT, didn't really help. So he's taken approach to weave together a number of different strategies, and I'm excited because he's going to share some of that today. Given the challenges that highly sensitive people face, I mean, our emotional responsiveness, our tendency to be overwhelmed, and our proclivity to ruminate, anxiety can be a constant companion. I know I've had my own journey and continue to work with parking anxiety. It can get the best of me still at times. So coming up with strategies to really employ is a real practical evolution in, I think, our journey to be empowered HSP individuals. In our chat, Paul and I explore his journey from sensitive child, aka the incredible salt, right through till today, where he's a still sensitive, a proud, sensitive, grounded, energetic, and thriving man. You'll really enjoy meeting him. In our conversation, I learned about the drama triangle, the physiological sigh, and a series of practical strategies that can really, truly work at calming anxiety. I hope you'll listen in. You'll enjoy Paul's calm and energetic style. And do let us know what you take away. Today's episode of the Happy Space Podcast is sponsored by ClaireKumar.com. With sensitivity, curiosity, and courage, I serve three groups asking the tough questions that lead to meaningful answers. Number one, I coach ambitious leaders to design for well-being and achieve next-level work-life integration. Number two, 
I mic drop thought bombs, that's bombs as in B-A-L-M-S, in keynotes and workshops, helping organizations achieve the business imperative that is inclusivity. And three, I collaborate with brands concerned with respect for well-being on product design, marketing, and PR. If any of this piqued your interest, come find me at clairekumar.com. I'd love to speak with you. Designing inclusive performance together will lead to the richest results. So Paul, I'm so happy to be joining you today to get into a discussion around mindset, anxiety, and all of the good information that you have to share with listeners. But first, I thought I would invite you to share a little bit about sensitivity and how that has shown up in your life, what that means to you. I want to say thank you so much for inviting me on your amazing show. Uh, I loved having you on it as a guest on mine, and we had such a great conversation. And uh, what a great question to start off with. Um, sensitivity, I think, do you know what? From just talking to you and exploring your stuff, I've really reflected back on my past and how often I was shamed for being classed as sensitive. Um, as if there was something wrong with me. I, no one really guided me to be able to manage my emotions. I think I was, you know, I was classed as an anxious child. No one said, this is what you do with them. It was literally, you shouldn't have them. And if, you, if you're expressing them, so if I was upset, then it was, you just need to go to your room. You know, or Flashbacks. there was the... Flashbacks yeah. to my parenting as well. Yeah, yeah. it's that eye roll of, um, oh, he's upset again. And I used to get called uh, the incredible soul. So when I was a child, there was the incredible Hulk on TV. And if I was ever upset, it was that, oh, he's, oh, he's having a sulk again. Oh, here's the incredible soul. Are you sulking? So I grew up at home with that sort of shame of trying to keep myself to myself. And I, and I mean, I fell into books to escape emotions and to escape uh, my reality. And something else that came to mind was even the kids that I grew up with, my peers, um, who were very bullying in, in, in a way and, 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 and attacking, they sensed that sensitivity. So it was, easy for me to become a target. And I had no clue, no, no clue what I was doing wrong. No idea what was, what was happening. I was so confused. So it's been a trait that I have been embarrassed about for such a long time. So you, you try to man up and for us guys, it's, you know, you try and deal with, yeah, it's that you've got to you know, be more masculine, you know, um, pull your socks up, sort yourself out, mm -hmm. don't cry, get on with it. It was that type of attitude, mm -hmm. which was incredibly damaging. Very difficult to navigate. And um, the word stalk, really, the incredible sulk, what an image mm. there. And I just want listeners, listeners to know, you, you don't hear it in my voice right now, but if, I, if Paul and I hang out for a while, you definitely will. Um, I was born in England as well, and sulking is 
I mean, that word was very prominently used. I don't know if it is here as much in North America, but mm. the way you're describing the reaction and so on is bringing back a lot of memories for me. Um, yeah, we were, I wasn't given, first of all, I don't think there was an invitation to express the fullness of emotions that we experience. And then there was a, um, an invitation to suppress or shut them down. I remember actually vividly watching a movie, which was very upsetting. And I remember my mom saying, oh, Claire doesn't cry. And in my throat was like, I don't know, a volleyball size lump in my throat. Uh, yeah. And I had no, I was, Ugh. I got, I was, I could get angry. I was modeled anger as a child, but I didn't, I didn't know about expressing sadness, frustration, so many emotions, right? So um, how does this, you know, how does it show up for you now as someone who's in touch and so, so very mm. self-aware? How does sensitivity show up for you now? Do you know, something that you just reminded me of was uh, going back to my parents, something that I used to get quite angry and blame them for not being able to express myself. And it was, it was until last year that I had a conversation with my father that took over 30 years to have. I'd had a lot of therapy, a lot of self-awareness work done, and we'd had this conversation. And then he expressed to me stuff that he'd never talked about. And that was, he found emotions. He found the way that I was living embarrassing because he was a very private person. And so was my mother. And I never knew this. So when I was, so flashback to me being upset, they didn't know what to do. So they just simply modeled their own parents, their own parents. Um, yeah. And I think just knowing that has actually helped me a lot. You know, that's within the past year of developing a self-awareness of being, accepting what you're feeling, allowing it to be there. And you can nurture those feelings with a sense of compassion yes. instead of shame. And that allows that, you know, allows you to have a full experience of whatever is going on with you. But I find it's, it moves through the body. It's, it might feel difficult and it might feel uncomfortable, but that's okay. Um, that, that permission just to sit with it seems to do something where the mind and body begin to let it go. Because I think what I used to do was suppress, 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 or express. And unfortunately, all that did was seem to bank it for another time to be able to arise. It's almost like, um, oh, we're just gonna bring that uh, trauma back up for you until you actually let it go. So allowing it, expressing it and nurturing it seems to let it go. That's what's helped me. That's uh, so powerful. I just want to, like, as you did, that triggered a thought for me. Mm. Um, thinking about your parents, uh, I think fundamentally it's helpful when we feel like, oh, it would have been better if, or I wish somebody could mm. do this, this fundamental belief that we're doing the best we can with what we know. And boy, do we have an opportunity to know and learn and share so much more. So when I think about that with my mom, she was doing the best she could. And, and my dad as well. And and all of and your parents as well. So that that seems to lighten the load. And when we can think that no one was there really trying to harm us and really trying to you know have us carry your heavier heavier loads, 
in our lives. Yeah, right? absolutely. It, it takes you off of the victim, uh, you know, the drama triangle. I don't know if you know what the drama yeah. triangle is. Yeah. So there's, uh, I suppose, Stephen Cartman. Um, it's a famous triangle. You've got the victim, you've got the uh, persecutor, you've got the, the rescuer. And the, the victim is always the prize in um, psychotherapy. You you find a way to persecute. So what I found myself doing was persecuting my father from the victim point of view of, look at what they did to me. And then um, whenever he reacted, I'd go back to being, I got my prize. I was the victim. Look how he's treating me. Yeah. And then I'd feel bad because he was really upset and stuff like that. Then I'd go in to move to rescue and try and reach out again. So you end up moving around this triangle. And even though I've trained in this stuff for years, I didn't realize I was on that triangle with that dynamic still. It was only through my father getting upset with me again that I realized that what am I doing? What is it that I'm doing to upset him? And because it was triggering me. So by having, it, uh, you know, by doing some, some work, I began to realize that actually what I was doing was I was persecuting him. Oh, he yeah. reacted and then I would, I would get my prize as the victim. So I kept moving around that, that triangle. And it was nice when we had that final conversation to step off. And it, that, that helped lighten the load. So powerful to understand the dynamics. And in that persecution role, it's, it's almost about, I have a valid point and I need to be heard. So mm. I'm going to tell. <laughs> I'm going I'm to teach yeah. somebody what they need to know. And then we can overdo it as highly sensitive people too. If our emotional responsiveness is really unleashed, well, we can go a little far sometimes. And, and I've personally been working on, you know, I was modeled kind of coming out swinging with the, you know, having a big stick and really claiming my space. And this is making so much sense, this drama triangle mm. to realize and work on noticing my emotion, like you said. And nurturing a better response, nurturing a more thoughtful, kind response, which doesn't, doesn't leave me level two, beating myself up for the way I just behaved. Absolutely. It's, it's very empowering because the victim wants to blame. And I've been in, in that dynamic with him. I used to call him the like Darth Vader of my life, you know, um, and we had this really rocky relationship and I had to take ownership of the fact that. I was treating him in a way which he felt demeaned so he would react back. Right. And one of us had to take the, one of us had to have that self-awareness to step away and do something different. And it's not going to be him. So yeah. I took that road because I'd done the work and now we have a much better relationship. It's not perfect. It, you know, I'm aware of how he's been and there's a lot that's not quite right, but it's still um, to, to unconsciously treat him as someone who's the bad guy, the enemy, of course, they're just going to react back that way to you. Mm. A wonderful way. Was there bravery involved in you choosing that path or how did it come to you in that moment yeah. that, that you're yeah. going to be changing this dynamic? That took a lot of work because it's 30 years of, I've never had this conversation and in how he treated me the way he did. He banned me from my home from 10 years, for 10 years. Um, so we'd never had this real conversation as to why, what, yeah. what was that really all about? When he finally invited me back into the home, when I went to, to have this conversation with him, I was shut down completely. And my mother was so happy that I was in back in the house that 
it kind of got moved to one side. He said he had his say, I didn't have my say. Um, so with therapy and self-work and learning to manage my emotions, because I, rem I remember the call to this day and my nervous system was alive. I could sense that I wanted to shallow breathe. My body mm -hmm. was in a state of alarm. I felt really, really heightened. So I had to soothe and calm that down. And by doing that and just staying true to, I'm not going to treat him as, a, um, as the enemy. I'm going to gently ask him what I wanted to ask him and keep guiding him onto that path. So he did his best to avoid the conversation, mm. but eventually he opened up and he said, I'm telling you things I've never told anyone. And that for me was quite shocking. I never understood him as much as I do now by having, you know, from having that conversation, he opened up and it was to hear that he was private and that he found these things overwhelming and extreme gave me an idea of, yeah, I was expecting, you know, quite naturally, I was expecting too much for him quite naturally, but it was, he wasn't able to give me what yeah. I needed emotionally as a child. Mm -hmm. And I had that trauma to carry with me, but it's my job to release that trauma so that I don't pass it on or project it onto other people. Mm. I hear in this story, incredible self-compassion and compassion mm. for your father as well. And I, and I wonder if, if it's something you'd like to speak about now, this role of self-compassion in being kind to ourselves, which kind of invites that flow of compassion to others. Yeah. Do you know, it's one of the things that when I'm working with my clients, what inviting self-compassion can feel very hard because sometimes dependent on our environments we're brought up in or, you know, the culture, self-compassion is seen as weak. Um, it's something that you don't, maybe women do, guys don't do it. Or, or even for women, it's, um, if you're a strong woman, you shouldn't have this going on. You, you know, you're too sensitive. And um, owning self-compassion as one of the most valuable tools that you can use for self-transformation and change. So self-compassion towards yourself, loving yourself, accepting yourself as if you would someone else who was in your vicinity, who you loved and they were in pain. It's having the same feeling, but towards you. And whatever that looks like, it may be different for different people, but whatever that looks like to keep practicing that. I had a client last night, it reminded me of a client last night, I got him, he was in a very low place. I got him to become very present with me and I got him to put his hand on his heart. And I said, say your name. And he said his name. And I said, I, and say, I love you. And he looked at me in horror and then said it. And then the tears, the tears flowed. And he said it a few more times. And I had a lovely message from him today just saying, I think last night you saved my life. I feel so much lighter today because that's what we're cultivating was he had a very angry approach towards himself, which is so common. I mm -hmm. had too. so much anger, so much shame and guilt for who I was, what I've done, my behavior, because class is too sensitive and I didn't know how to manage my emotions. So I didn't see myself in a good light, but the minute you begin to just put your hand on your heart and just, you know, begin to think, feel compassion towards yourself. That's a wonderful release of oxytocin just doing that, Yeah. by the way. So that's a nice little, little, little boost. 
you can begin to get in touch with who you are. And, you know, I meditate, uh, I do mindfulness. All of those tools help you create that relationship with yourself. Because I think the guy was in my office, he was, was disconnected. We began the process of reconnection. I was disconnected. And from all the work, self-work and help and everything that I've been doing, I became reconnected. And that's when we have a stronger relationship with ourselves. Ruth, that's beautiful. And I love how you're, it's talking about, yeah, sure, our minds, but mm. our hearts and bodies, it's all connected. And so, yeah, Absolutely. putting your hand on your heart, maybe we can dive into a little bit of, well, before we get into some real strategies, people can listen mm. and, and absolutely employ further than to the hand on the heart and self-compassion. We've yeah. already got some. Can you tell me a little bit about your journey into, you're, you're, so tra you're trained in numerous modalities and mm. um, NLP and hypnotism I'm seeing on your, on, I, when I Googled your website, I'm like, hypnotherapist, Brighton, right. Um, <laughs> yeah, okay. there's, there's so many talents. Can you tell us a little bit about your journey through these different kind of healing modalities? And then mm. we'll get to some treasures. Well, as I discussed from my childhood, I developed an anxiety and panic disorder. So I was having panic attacks on a regular basis. So in my, I'm going to do something about it. I didn't really know much about going to a therapist. So bizarrely, I went to a um, counseling course at the age of 17 oh. to learn counseling. Uh, so I started that process. Wow. I had therapy. Yeah. So I had therapy. Um, but the therapy, the traditional approaches didn't work for me. Um, it was all focused on what was I worried about. Um, and there were times when, and this is a confusing thing about anxiety is sometimes there were times I was just simply not worried at all. There was nothing in my mind, but my body was telling me that I was in danger. There was a state of alarm in my body. Um, and I was trying to explain that to the therapist and they were just looking at me like kind of strange. So it was almost like CBT style processes, but there was no tools or strategies to help me go into social situations where I had, I had a, a social, uh, social anxiety. I had a real, um, travel phobia anxiety. So it was, I really couldn't do the things I wanted to do because there was no tools or strategies. It was try and think your way better. Yeah. And so I, just, it was, yeah. yeah. For, for listeners who might not know the term CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy. So yeah. my thoughts, behaviors, actions, you know, um, making Absolutely. those connections, yes. right? Yeah. Yeah. So you question, you can question your thoughts. The thing is though about that. And so I, I thought I was a failure and I thought this is not working for me. I'm doing this all wrong. And, um, I even got to the point where the panic attacks were so strong and the anxiety was so strong. I couldn't see a future. I thought about taking my life. And it was, it's one of those strange things that in that moment, when I was, I remember sat in the bathroom thinking, what am I going to do? And I had a strong feeling inside that said, you're really looking at this the wrong way around. And it was, look at it from the bigger picture, a holistic point of view. So I did some more research and I found out from researching that I was breathing wrong. I was too shallow. Um, I wasn't breathing deep enough. Um, my lifestyle was most likely definitely exacerbating my anxiety. Um, oh. So when I began focusing on soothing and healing the body, so I trained in a lot of different therapies, somatic and um, 
I really was fascinated with hypnosis and hypnotherapy, working with the subconscious mind too. But the more I began to heal my body, I found my mind became easier to work with. Mm. So it was much easier to then, once I began to work with the body, to use a CBT style process was then much easier. So that's why right. I think CBT in itself, it can be effective. But for a lot of people, they look at me as if to say, why hasn't it worked? Mm. Um, and when I show them how to work with the body first and then the mind, they're like, oh, this makes so much sense. This makes so much sense because your prefrontal cortex, which is the part of the brain that will deal with the C CBT, mm -hmm. disengages when we're in a state of fight or flight. So you got your limbic system, your emotional brain takes over and gets you to safety. You're not meant to be rationalizing your danger. So that's why it can feel really difficult. Very, very smart people can go, why am I not able to get myself to safety in that moment in a way of you know, rationalizing my danger? Why can I not do a present presentation? These, these are just people. But if the brain is in fight or flight, yeah. that rational part disengages and it's so easy to believe the lies of the mind. So when you reconnect those two parts of the brain together again, we can think more clearly. But it has to be done with the body first. Yeah. And it, it makes me think when I was parenting, there was no point trying to teach your child something when they were free, they were upset. And right, yeah. there's no point. And now we're going to do this. The, the mind can't go there. I, I talk about giving the amygdala a hug. And so yes, how, nice. how do we do that? How do we got two amygdala in the brain and they're reacting? Because it serves us. I mean, the one, the one thing I like, um, and I think we talked about this in, in our discussion was there's a value in anxiety. So we don't want to say, I never want anxiety in my life. We want, we want mm. some of this as a cue, but then what do we do with it? So what would you offer to listeners right now who are highly sensitive in an overwhelming world that often can trigger? And, and I don't know if you have other words for trigger, but uh, can cause or inspire potential reactions that that are less than what we're looking for and can yeah. send us into rumination or emotional unleashing um what can you what can you recommend I, I, the, the main thing that i would say with anything like that so for me i learned a system which when you're triggered by i call it wave one so wave one is where you have the unwanted experience, you have the unwanted thought, you have the unwanted feeling, whatever has triggered you. The problem is, the problem isn't wave one. Our, the problem is our reaction to wave, wave one. Mm -hmm. Wave one's happened or happening. We can't change that. The thoughts happen, the feelings happened, the experience is happening. So what we have the ability to do in, in wave two is choose by beginning to soothe the body, choose how we're going to react to wave one. So by soothing the body, so some breath work, breathing down to the diaphragm, you can do what's known as the um, physiological sigh, which is a double inhale, and then really slow exhale out. So belly, it's a nice way to remember it, is breathing to the belly, then to the chest, and then slowly out. Um, this is known to neuroscience. Andrew Huberman talks about it on Huberman Labs as one of the quickest ways to return your nervous system back to baseline. So when you soothe the body and you can put your hands on the part of the body that feel alarmed. So if you feel sensitive, like for me, I, I would feel sensitive in my stomach. 
um, if you've got sensitivity in your chest, put your hands there if you can. Uh-huh. Just begin to soothe that part of the body. And as you soothe it, your prefrontal cortex will align with your, um, your amygdala, with your emotional brain, the limbic system. And we can begin to think more clearly. So we can name it. We can name the experience. Now, you can even say, this is just, a, this is just some sensitivity right now. This is a false alarm right now. Mm-hmm. You know, or if, if someone's doing, um, you know, some form of public presentation, I say, performance adrenaline. That's all I'm experiencing right now. Yes. Uh, uh, name it and re- yeah, rename it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Name it. Name it. Call it whatever you want. When yeah. you name it to tame it, um, I can't remember the name of the psychologist, but there was an experiment and naming it can reduce the intensity of the feeling. That's right. By about 50% which is really, really handy when it comes to just aligning yourself with your mind and body because we go out of alignment due to the trigger. Yeah. And then we come back into alignment just by soothing, allowing ourselves to experience it, being within the body and we're naming it. And then what we can begin to do is way three is in my term is just beginning to move your attention back to the present moment. Just allowing ourselves to be here in the here and now because when we get caught up in overthinking which is very easy to do like i would have as a child try to overthink things to try to escape the danger i have no idea what you're talking about (laughs) (laughs) yeah you um it's you try and stay up here but when Mm -hmm. you move into the body Mm -hmm. because it's the body that has the alarm we don't tend to overthink if there's nothing going on in the body it's so interlinked if we have a negative thought and there's no alarm in the body, it just turns into a thought. But if the body is alarmed, we're, we're now um, trying to interpret what's really going on with us and we can overthink. But by moving into the body, the mind begins to slow down and we begin to develop more clarity. So wave one is going to happen. Wave two, choose your reaction. You're not powerless. Wave three, move back to the present. That's amazing. Um, I've been talking about something similar, but I was going right Mm. to the head and not starting with the body. I mean, Mm. and sort of connecting, you know, tapping into intuition, slowing down and letting, letting the body guide you, if you will, Mm. is the place, is the place to start. Without that, you, you, you're not in a position to actually be intellectual about it. No. And that's the thing is we're all smart people. And one of the things, one of the aspects of shame that comes from being highly sensitive or having anxiety, however uh, you um, are experiencing it, is the irrationality that we experience, the, the crazy thoughts, the, the rational thoughts, the, um, and what can feel like irrational behaviors. And, and that produces a lot of shame and embarrassment. And my job is to help people feel empowered through anxiety. You know, you talk about, and I love that you mentioned it, it's uh, sensitivity is sexy. It's, it's a superpower because there's so much that a person with, who's got a highly sensitive nature can tune into to become aware of. That's an incredible gift. Same with anxiety. There's levels of, of being able to tune into things and be aware of future issues and problem solving that a person with anxiety is a master at. And there's nothing to be ashamed of either way. It's an incredible gift. We just need to upgrade society a little bit to get on board with the program. Well, we need, yeah, we need the two things. We need society to evolve to be a bit more tender. I would say that's my big invitation yeah. out there. 
But this, what you're offering, what I hope to be a part of on people's journey as well, is this empowerment to be self-aware and love the strengths that come with it and then navigate through to away from shame and away from discomfort uh, to be able to then say, what do I have to offer in this situation? Mm. Right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Mindfulness is a wonderful tool for that because mindfulness or meditation it gets you to step back from your ego. So your, our conditioned minds um, is, uh, is likely to be the, a trigger point. And just by developing the skill to be able to step back as your awareness and become aware of the ego, wanting to react, wanting to replay past traumas, is an incredible game changer. Uh, because now we have a choice. You can see how you want to respond, but you have a choice in how you're going to respond. Yeah. And yeah. that for me is I, that for me was such a skill. When that began to happen, I was blown away by the fact that I'm aware I want to be upset by something, or I'm aware that I'm want, I, there's a part of me that wants to cause an argument so that I can be the victim. There's a part of me that wants to do this. It was, yeah. and the fact that I could just observe it and even just say to someone, I'm, I'm not trusting how I think and feel right now. I'll be with you in a moment um, and be okay with that. Yeah. It's empowering. It lets, you know, it lets people know where they are, but also at the same time, it's, it gives you a chance to choose how you're going to respond instead of just react. Couple of words coming to mind there. Mm. Uh, well, you, you invite this pause, which mm. takes patience, right? And in a world that's not largely patient, it, there's some bravery in True. the moment to hold that. Um, that time for the self-awareness to do that check-in and say, ego, are you, are you wanting to be right now? Are you wanting to teach someone a lesson? Are you, do you, what, where's, what's happening there? And to, to invite that in. So the patience is there. And also earlier, you mentioned the word practice. Mm. So with those two things, how have you made it possible for you to hold on to to be in practice in this and to cultivate the patient to really step into this power? Daily meditation. It's a non-negotiable for me. Um, it's a practice that I struggled with at the beginning because I didn't kind of get it and my ego wouldn't let me sit still. It was like, this is boring. I don't want to do yeah. this. How long have I got left? Um, I'm, I'm fidgety. Uh, it I, and I was too attached to my ego. And, and back then, I didn't know that my thoughts were options only. I believed, I believed everything I thought. I didn't know it was, an, I didn't know it was a choice. Um, and that was a big game changer when someone said, you do know that your thoughts are not real, don't you? And I just looked at them with an eyebrow raised and said, but I'm thinking it must mean something, surely. And they're like, no, just your conditioned mind just spouting nonsense and you can step back and observe your thoughts um, and that took some practice and then when I got it, it I remember crying because it felt so liberating to realize I don't have to believe what I think anymore I'm not my thoughts this is just my conditioned mind repeating the past and I can consciously choose as an, as an awareness what I really want to think so meditation even if you just begin with just a couple of minutes, 1%, a little bit more each day in a month, you're 30% better. So it's just a little bit 
a little bit more each day of exploring the mind and developing that self-awareness as yeah, that's, but that would say that was the biggest thing, learning to pause, learning to breathe, yeah. learning to relax and sit still. And, and it's then, accessible to everyone. It's everywhere. Portable. It's another yeah. keyword. It's portable too. You have it, it with is. you at all the time, which is. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, sort of the last question is something, mm. and it sort of comes back to naming it and, and your wave one, wave two, which I've talked about at level one, level two. We, we get yeah. the first reaction. So I might feel angry. I might feel jealous. I might feel irritated. And then I've called it level two. I think this is the wave two where we're, where we're, it's the second reaction to it. It's like, now I'm feeling shame because I shouldn't mm. be feeling jealousy. I shouldn't, you know, the second level piece. Um, I wanted to talk just a little bit more about shame mm. uh, because highly sensitive people um, in our culture of, yes, you're too sensitive, you're too much. What do we do with shame as a feeling? Maybe a last thought about that as how we can emerge yeah. through that and really stand in some strength. I think when it comes to the wave system and your level system, by the way, because we can in incorporate this in, is they would naturally happen on autopilot. You know, there are our conditioned response. So we'd have wave one to, to, to trigger wave two, um, our reactive response to it. Wave three is the shame and the guilt and the fear that wave one is going to happen again. And then it just repeats in that cycle. But by being awake and aware, so moving ourselves to the present moment, we begin to choose wave two as a response to wave one. And wave three is allowing ourselves to feel what we feel and then begin to move into the present moment. So if we are feeling shame, which is quite natural, a natural response is to begin to try and move away from it, which is an unconscious response, an autopilot. By being awake and aware, we can become aware of where it sits within the body. So for me, shame is likely to sit within the stomach. I can sit there with and think about probably a younger version of me who's holding that shame. So a bit of time regression of me in the past age regression of a young Paul who's still feeling ashamed for whatever reason. And I can imagine him there literally in my stomach and that, and just letting him know that he is loved and he's got nothing to be ashamed of, nothing to be embarrassed. It's giving my younger self something that they didn't have back then. So I'm fulfilling an emotional need that they didn't have back then. And just by, and it's all metaphorical, of course, but by allowing that feeling to be there within the body and nurturing it, it begins to move, which is a strange feeling. But when it begins to move through the body, it's almost like you're breathing it out. Yeah. Some people, it moves down, some moves up. When you move, and yeah, when you get that feeling move on, what you've done is release something that's been holding you down. And the more you do that, the lighter you become. And it's just that nurturing of shame of just letting it be there giving it some love. Yeah, it's back to that self-compassion and uh, visualizing Absolutely. the younger version of you. I often use my three-year-old self or encourage clients to think about little you. <laughs> and yeah, yeah. how are you going to take care of little you on your journey through the day? Are you taking care of little you as well as present you? Because yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. We've, all got, we've all got an inner child at various ages within us who has trauma. And through awareness, we can get a sense of when it's beginning to arise 
And that's a beautiful thing because it's an opportunity to heal and let it go. It's nothing to be ashamed of. Every time you get that shame feeling, there's nothing wrong with you. It means that you're being given, you're being given the opportunity to heal. So if you can in that moment connect and allow that process and you'll feel lighter for it. Mm-hmm. And the world changes because, that, yeah, the way that you see the world changes, it all becomes a, a different place. Yeah. And how wonderful to support people on their journey mm. through this to exploration of, of their past and evolving to managing present so much more beautifully. Uh, Paul, it's been a, just a treasure, a delight uh, speaking with you, learning more, a little bit more even about you. And I would like to invite listeners out there to check out Paul's work. Uh, maybe, Paul, you can just give a shout out now and I'll put it, of course, in the show notes. But if you can give everybody an idea of where they might find you. Oh, my website, if my website address is about to change. So if you pop in your show notes, the okay. website address, but it's, um, it's at the mindsetcoach.com, um, okay. um, you'll find me. Or the best place to come and ever find me is the Mindset Change Podcast. Um, right. that has all my links in the show notes of where you can find me on TikTok. Yes, TikTok, oh. uh, Instagram, <laughs> uh, all the places where I do videos and talk about this type of work. Because uh, I'm on a mission. I'm on a mission to help people feel uh, less anxious and more empowered, uh, which is it goes beautifully along with your work, Claire, because uh, I'm very grateful for what you do too. Oh, yeah, we could talk for hours. I think I might need yeah. a private TikTok tutorial because I'm thinking about it. But <laughs> I'm also hearing Do that, it. Yeah, some people are saying, no, no, it's going to be shut down. So I don't, I don't know. Because really? of cons- no. well, concerns in the U.S. about it being a Chinese company. I don't know. I don't know yeah. anything about this. But, but yeah, I might hit you up for a TikTok tutorial. So yeah, do it, do it. Um, I, you, know, that, that, you know, thousands of people can watch a video very quickly. And it's all about you, you're spreading your work, which is incredibly important right now. Um, because yeah. there's a, I think the world is moving into a state of transition. We can see a lot of people becoming quite polarized, quite angry, and that makes them more conservative and um, a bit more, you know, they don't see the world in a healthy way for themselves at times. And it's just about, you know, we need a lot of people to help, help others heal. And this is why our work is quite important right now, I think. So yes, do a TikTok, get it out there. Uh, I'll support you. (laughs) Thank you. So listeners out there, um, you've heard now that Paul has a podcast as well, which definitely I encourage you as as Paul will know this as a podcast host. We love this moment where we're talking Mm. to each other and we're thinking about you, our listeners, all the time. And we love to hear from you. So please, if you listen to Paul's podcast, which I hope you will, there are some phenomenal episodes I've listened to already. Please leave a review, leave a comment, even, you know, engage with us. We'd love to know that what we're doing actually finds a home and makes a difference. So until next time, be well and make uh, beautiful choices. Thanks so much for joining me, Paul. Thank you very much. Thank you so much for listening. You can find all of the Happy Space Podcast episodes over at happyspacepod.com. That is also where you'll find a link to our online community. Please leave a review over at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you tune in. And if you liked what you heard, please share. After all, doesn't everyone deserve a happy space? Happy Space.